Welcome to the Summit County HealthCast, a podcast to improve the health and wellness of residents in Summit County, Utah. Join us as we interview local experts, professionals, and more to provide you with the best health and wellness tips Summit County has to offer. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Summit County HealthCast. I am here today with Dr. Brad Reedy, who is a Utah local, studied at Brigham Young University, uh, went to Loma Linda University where he got his master's, and then returned to BYU for a PhD in marriage and family therapy. Today we're talking to Brad about his upcoming speaker series that we're doing on September 17th, which will be about raising resilient children. Brad, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me, Derek. There's a number of things. I mean, I could go on with the bio. We'll talk about Evoke Therapy Programs, which mm-hmm. is another business that you run that revolves around therapy mm-hmm. and helping children and families and individuals. And then also, one thing I was excited about, you're also a podcaster and have over almost 300 episodes now mm-hmm. on your podcast. So it's good to have another podcaster on that kind of knows the right. ins and outs of the business. And we'll, make, we'll talk about that later and we'll plug that in. But just to get started little bit of background on yourself that we haven't talked about yet. I talk about this idea that I was one of the kids that I treat now, right? I came from, I lived in, grew up in Southern California with a single mother, and I struggled. I struggled, I struggled with substance abuse, anger, you, you know, mental health issues. And so I finally found my way out of those struggles and problems and accidentally took a child psychology course in college and, and knew I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So. It really comes from the perspective, my work comes from the perspective of being that child. And so I spend a lot of my time now advocating, speaking for children, helping children find their own voice. And then that's led me to be able to speak to parents because now I'm a parent of four. And it's, it's led me to be able to speak to parents with a unique perspective and voice and be able to help them in managing the challenges that are facing them. You said you took a child psychology class and that's kind of when it sounds like the light bulb came on. So do you want to talk a little more about that and how that tied in with your earlier experiences in life and and led to your career choices? You bet. In fact, I had a friend tell me one time that I would be a good therapist. I'd been forced to go to therapy as a teenager and when he told me that I got really angry with him. (laughs) But then I took a child psychology course just as an an accident part of an elective and I realized how much richness there was in my upbringing with all the challenges that I had with all the therapy I'd been to which for me were part of a a struggle and part of a discomfort but I realized how much I already knew and so I I realized it was it was already inside of me it was a language that I knew and that was a great realization for me to realize that all of those struggles I had been through also added a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight into my life and when I when I applied to BYU as a matter of fact I, I wrote about being sent away to, th- to treatment programs and when they responded they said we didn't let you in in spite of that we let you in because of that because of the wisdom that also came with that. So as you went through college this is more for my own curiosity and yeah. as you've been going through your career are there moments when you kind of look back on your own experiences and see say you know that's what I was going through or I can see myself in this situation things like that? Almost always. I, I was working with a family just this week I do intensive work with families now also and I was working with a family this week and I found myself 
identifying with the young person so much. And, and, and by the end of the intensive experience, even though more or less he was brought in as the identified patient, the one with the problem, he walked away feeling really validated, really empowered, and realizing that some of his anger, some of his angst, that it wasn't because something was wrong with him, it was because the context needed to adjust a little bit. So I absolutely find myself identifying with the young people that, that I work with. And I'm sure that's a big advantage in your programs, uh, having just that background and personal experience. I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with therapists or with even just talking about mental health in general, which is a subject we have often on the podcast, that there's this stigma around it. And maybe when you look at therapists, you think, oh, this is someone who reads a lot of books about this, but hasn't ever really experienced right. it or been through it. And they're just kind of going through their list of things. This is what I need to right. tell you. But. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, he said that he can't speak to subjects that he's never struggled with. He said, I can't speak about permissible and impermissible gambling or the virtue of which gambling is an excess because I don't have that experience. So most of my wisdom, fortunately or unfortunately, comes from the struggle. Everything I write about when I'm talking to a parent, what I what I couch that in is I've made every mistake as a child and a parent that you can possibly make. What I've been willing to do is go to therapy about it. I, I still go to therapy now. I've been with my current therapist for 20 years. So yeah, that's the difference between somebody who studies it and somebody who really dives and leans into the work. So tell us now about Evoke Therapy Programs, how everything you just discussed led to that. You're the co-owner and the clinical director as well. So right. how did that come to be and what? how does it work? In the mid-1990s, I had a professor that recommended that I go and work at a wilderness therapy program, which I, I took advantage of that, that suggestion. And then it was a few years into it when we realized that we wanted to start our own and add this, this family support education component and, and also add a, a more compassionate, less behavioral approach, if you will. And so in 1998, we founded our program. It eventually expanded to four programs spread across the United States. Since then, we've reorganized and, and we have two programs, one in St. George and one in Bend, Oregon. And so it, it's, it's outside, it's camping, um, it's experiential, but it's traditional evidence-based therapies. And uh, I'll say it this simply, context matters. There's a saying that says the fish is the last to discover water. And so sometimes the only way you can see your context, which includes your, your family and your parents and your culture, is to get out of the context. So wilderness therapy takes children out of their context and gives both the family at home and the child the opportunity to more clearly see the issues, see the challenges, see their resources, and see each other in the process. So I've been involved with wilderness therapy now for 23 years, and I've never seen something more dynamic than that, that approach to therapy. And on an earlier podcast, we interviewed Stacy Bear, who is with the Sierra Club, and he does a lot of similar, not as much therapeutic or clinical approaches, but along the same lines of just getting people out in nature to right. experience nature, and as you said, look at things from an outside point of view. How, I guess my next question is, why specifically the great outdoors? You talked about removing the person from the situation, right. but how does the wilderness add to that? You know. I think it does a few things. It slows everything down. Uh, it, it, it quiets everything down. Um, when I started in wilderness therapy 23 years ago, the need to be unplugged was there, but not nearly as necessary it is, as it is now for our own mental health and, and well-being. And so I think because we're so immersed in electronics and immediate gratification, 
I think wilderness adds a, a component that that supports mindfulness and mindfulness is absolutely a part of, of a lot of mental health approaches. So I think it's just the, the most, the, the purest environment to find yourself. There's, there's stories, metaphors, and myths of going into the wilderness to find yourself. And in our program, it's, it's a metaphor, but it's also a, a literal experience. So it's a place where I think my, my early mentor said to me, it's a place where you go to spend time with yourself and see how you like the company. And I'm sure that really ties into what you do with youth. You talked about unplugging 20 years ago, and that really meant adults who wanted to get away from their giant brick cell phone right. or their their emails on their dial-up internet. Right. But today it's something, and you mentioned this in an interview you did earlier that I attended, that there are issues that the youth face that weren't around um, when you were a kid, even right. when I was a kid, a few years younger than you, but just the having the social media constantly and not being able to go home and unplug from all the social clicks and everything going on at school. Absolutely. I think the pressures, the exposure, the immersion into social media, it's, it's, I don't think it's innately evil. I'm not going to take that stance, but the pressures and the challenges that come with that immersion are tremendous on, on a young person's development. And so I read a quote the other day that said, being unplugged is the new luxury. I think we all love the access, the information, the connectivity it can give to us, but it also comes with the liability of comparing yourself to others, uh, of how do I fit in, how do I really connect to somebody else. And I think young people uh, who, who are growing up in that don't have an other experience. And so we're giving them that other experience. And as a society, I would even say as a whole, we haven't really figured out this whole social media thing and this whole online thing yet. It's still so new that we're right. not sure how to manage it or Absolutely. how to control it. And like you said, how to get away from it. Right. So, but speaking of technology, there is also the good side. And this is when we'll talk a little bit more about your podcast. Tell us about why the podcast, some of the info you yeah. can find on there. And then of course we'll link that in the show notes so people can take a listen, but what can people expect if they subscribe? You know, first of all, I started doing the broadcast Ten and a half years ago, I've done about eleven hundred episodes. We didn't start doing a podcast version of it until a few years ago, and what I found is that parents and families who sometimes were afraid to go to a therapist to walk into an Al-Anon meeting would be willing, in the privacy of their own offices and homes, listen to something. And so, it's it's a really easy way to provide education. Uh, a kind of a sensibility, a way of thinking, to answer questions. Yeah, we've been doing it for a few years, and I get a lot of feedback that people listen to sometimes the same episode over and over again. I have one listener who said they listen to it every night before they go to bed because my approach is not simple problem-solving or advice-giving. It is learning how to be in relationship with yourself, with society, with, with your child in a different way. And that kind of transformation, I think, can can be assisted by this idea of listening to the way that somebody talks and thinks in the process. And there's lots of different topics. Um, I do one or two a week. We have a lot of lot of listeners, a lot of success inside of the program, and a lot of people that, that have never been to our program to listen in. And the variety of topics was something that caught my eye when I was going through and looking at some of the episodes. Uh -huh. And the fact that I believe most are under 40 minutes or less. So you can go in and kind of depending on what you're dealing with that day or that month, go in have a quick listen, get grounded or get some background information right. and then apply that information and then come back again and listen to another episode. Sure. 
And I think it's a really valuable resource to have, as you said, to have almost that therapist for you in your own home, on your right. commute, wherever it might be. Right, it's very to, confidential. In addition to the podcast, you're also the author of a book, which is called The Journey of the Heroic Parent. And you mentioned that we, we talked earlier about the wilderness experience, the stories and myth going into the woods. Right. I know that you based this book on the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. Right. So why don't we talk more about where the the inspiration for this book came from and what that really means to parents. Sure, sure. I, I think, you know, we accept the premise that we're getting children that are struggling with mental health issues, substance abuse issues. That's the premise with which people come into contact with our program. But what I've learned in, in treating and, and working with families for 23 years is it's not very simple. Every case doesn't turn out perfectly. It's not a simple cause and effect relationship where you give parents kind of a, a list of steps to go through and it will fix the child. And so what happens, I call it Trojan horse therapy. You, you bring somebody into your program. Uh, the gift, the idea is, is that they're, they're going after their struggling child. And then you surround the, the entire family. And Joseph Campbell's uh, philosophy talks about this idea that their hero's journey, the hero goes into the wilderness, goes into the woods, goes into the deep, dark cave. And that becomes a metaphor for going inside of yourself. So we ask everybody in the family to go inside of themselves. So the heroic parent is somebody who's has the courage to, to look at themselves. Gandhi said that a coward is incapable of exhibiting love, that only brave people can do that. And that he says that somebody who exhibits this kind of love has taken on the responsibility for their own journey. So it's about transformation while you're looking for the grail, while you're looking for the widget that you're searching. And, and for us, parents state that it changes their lives. It changes their capacity to hear and see everything in the world, including, most importantly to them, their children. And that seems like something that, when you explain it that way, would be an obvious way to approach therapy because you've got a child or a parent or whoever it might be that's struggling or whatever they're going through, but they exist within this family unit that's feeding them all this different stuff that may be impacting the way they're feeling. And that's something maybe if you can't fix the cause, you're not going to fix the effect. Sure, sure. I think that's a very wise comment. D.W. Winnicott, a famous psychologist, said once that it's the false self that brings the real self into therapy. What, Why people come to therapy isn't necessarily what they get out of therapy because you don't know what you don't know. And you, you don't even, if you don't know what you don't know, you don't even know how to get it because if you knew how to get it, you would in part know what you don't know. And so, yes, therapy is like that. Therapy is you come in, you take the risk, you show up. Here's the profound thing for me. You show up in a different context, a therapist's office, and you take the risk to, to receive the same reaction that you always have, which is judgment, anxiety, right? stigma, shame, those kinds of things. And if you have an adequate therapist and experience, you don't receive that. And that, that's what really changes people is they get to explore themselves in a safe context. And I'm sure for many parents reading the book or going to therapy with this approach that, as you said, you don't know what you don't know. You know, they, it's not like they were parent, they didn't have a trial run as parents right. before they had kids. And I'm sure there are a lot of things from their childhoods and their parents going back generations that play into that, that finally when the light bulb comes on and they can look at that from the outside, can really help their relationship with their child and then in turn help the child to right. deal with whatever they may be going through. My favorite author on child development, Alice Miller, she wrote a book called The Journey of the Hero, excuse me, that's my book. <laughs> she, she wrote a book called The Drama of the Gifted Child. She said on page one, 
We have only one enduring weapon in our fight against mental illness, and it is the discovery of our childhood. And so it is there that we recognize the wounds that limit us. And that's, that's why when I do parent education, I'm not critiquing parents' behaviors or parenting. I'm saying, okay, you're struggling with, for example, a boundary, holding a limit with your child. That, that's the simple part. Anybody can see that, you can see that. Where does that come from? Why? Where's the wound, right? Mm-hmm. And then when we, can, when we can fight the battle on, the, on that front, then we can really make a difference. But if you just go through a step-by-step, paint-by-numbers experience, like you said, you don't get to the root of what's really going on. And this all ties in with the speaker series that you're doing up here in Summit County, which the first one is titled Raising Resilient Children. Talk about that resiliency and what that really means for parents. First of all, I just want to congratulate Summit County because I, I think that a lot of communities, when there's a tragedy, they talk about you know, having a better conversation around mental health and this county is putting their money where their mouth is in that respect. There are a lot of challenges, there are a lot of pressures in a lot of communities and and Summit County is not exempt from those challenges. And so what I want to talk about is how can you inoculate your children? What, what, What are we doing that creates a vulnerability to our children and what can we do that creates a, something that can help them buffer against the challenges of society? And, and the core issue is to learn to see the child, to learn to resonate with the child. Really it's called healthy attachment. That's the, the most that's the most powerful mitigating element in a child's life that makes a difference. If a child can walk around, I say in my book that what a parent thinks about a child, not just what they say, but what they think about a child, how they hold the child in their mind, becomes the child's inner voice. And so if you can hold the child with compassion, non-judgment, patience, understanding, the child walks around with a copy that they're okay. If you're anxious, frustrated, disappointed in your child, the child walks around with a copy inside of themselves that they're not okay. And that creates that vulnerability to substance abuse, to peers that we wouldn't necessarily want them to be around. So. It's about attachment, it's about resonating, and it's about really, like I said, inoculating children against the the challenges that we all face, and and today those challenges are are quite significant. One thing that came to mind while you were talking about that, I used to have a coach that used the expression, uh, you were playing not to lose rather than playing to win. And this, the reason it came to mind is it seems to me, I'm not a parent, but listening to you speak, it seems that many times parents are parenting from a position of fear as in I don't want to mess my kid up right. rather than trying to raise a resilient child and parenting from the position of I want my kid to succeed. Right. There's no way that I, I, I can or will tell a parent don't be afraid, don't be anxious. And some of the families I work with, they have really good reasons to be worried about their child's well-being. But here's the simple truth. Anxiety gets in the way of our creativity, our response flexibility. So. What, what I know about therapy, what I know about Al-Anon and what that tells us about having a loved one with alcoholism, for example, is you, you take your anxiety and you go take care of it somewhere else. So that when you come back to the child, you're there for them. But if a child has to take care of your anxiety, right? If, if, if you as a loving parent are worried about their struggles, substance abuse, some of their, their depression, then they can't take care of themselves. And so you're right, anxiety and fear are the enemy. They're there to inform us, but if anxiety and fear, disappointment, frustration and anger, if those aspects of us have a hand on the wheel, there's no way we're going to be as flexible and effective in getting what we want with our families and with our children. 
And as you mentioned before, there's a transference there to your children, even if you don't realize it, right. or even if you, obviously you don't want that to happen, but it's still happening. They pick up on a lot of things that we probably don't realize. Absolutely. I think, you know, this, this idea of a parent, here's the shift. Don't make the child your project. Make yourself your project. That's the biggest relief for a child in the world. First of all, they know that you're taking care of yourself and they don't feel like this quote-unquote project, right? This, this broken thing that needs like to be Like you're living fixed. vicariously through them. Absolutely. And so the more clearly you can divine your own self, the more clearly you can see an other person. If, you're, if your own self is undefined or if that, that line about who you are is fuzzy, you don't know if you're seeing yourself, your projection, or if you're seeing your child. So development of self and a parent is kind of the core. And that's why the behavioral stuff about what limit to set or what decision to make, that's not the right question. The question is, who are you? And then, then the decisions come out of that truth. And I think a lot of people mistake that. They think that you can kind of get this right by getting, like I said before, a bunch of steps, a bunch of what to do's, and then that'll work out that way. Perfect. And just to give everyone kind of the download on that, that is Monday, September 17th right. from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Blair Education Center, which is inside the Park City Hospital. We've done a number of events there for the Alliance and the Health Department. It's a really great place. We're encouraging parents to come out. And as you mentioned before, we're not judging or preaching. We're just giving some information and some personal experiences that you've had and through your clients. And, yeah, we hope everyone will come out to that. Looking forward to it. So moving on. Before we get to the end, uh, I always have a question when I'm talking about Summit County specifically, where we look into the crystal ball, kind of flipping that around. I thought it would be interesting to ask you about some of the unique challenges you see parents facing in Utah, and on the flip side, some unique challenges that you see children facing in Utah, and maybe some tips on how parents and children can address and overcome those. Sure, I think a lot of parents in other cultures might have a different perspective about this, they might have different details. The small brush strokes would be unique, but the, the, the Utah environment is very homogeneous, right? The, the, it's very, the expectations, the rules are very clear. There's not a lot of diversity. There are not a lot of different paths in Utah when you compare it to other cultures in, in our country or, or in the world. And so this need to fit in, this need to be a certain thing, this need to achieve a certain thing, accomplish a, a certain thing, I think that that's in a lot of ways very unique to a culture like Utah. Um, even though our diversity is increasing over the years, I think that pressure is still there. The religious, the cultural pressure. And so with that challenge, it really does require parents to, to step outside of it, to do their own work. And for children to get out of that paradigm, you know, the, the soup that you get cooked in, the water that you get boiled in as a child leaves an impact on you. Um, it, it definitely leaves a mark on you. And so helping parents and children get outside of that, if not in the wilderness, but get outside of it by by having a different kind of conversation, I think it can help give them some perspective, some clarity, some some greater and deeper sense of self. So I think that's what's unique about Utah is the the, the pressures and the milestones and the measurements are, are so universal in our culture that it can be overwhelming. And it, it, can, it can make it invisible, like water is invisible to a fish. And it seems to me that there would be an additional struggle of a parent who did fit in, who did fit all those norms, and then has a child who maybe doesn't right. because they can't relate to that and they can't really give them any experiences or advice on what to do in that right, situation. Right. That's a really, really good point is 
is when children come into a context like this, if they don't fit in, it's not working for them. And so they're, they've got to find a place that feels safe for them. And I think that's a really good point. It's really hard for children who don't feel like we don't experience it as a lack of love. We just experience it maybe as a not knowing or confusion. The child experiences it. What you just described is something's wrong with me. Right. right? If I don't look like, sound like, do what everybody else does, something must be wrong with me. And I seem to be upsetting people. So that is absolutely evidence that something's wrong with me. And I think that's a really insightful kind of observation. So just wrapping up now, as I mentioned before, what I like to ask everyone is just a number one piece of advice or takeaway from this interview that you'd like to give specifically to parents here in Summit County. I think what I would say is everybody struggles or everybody knows or loves somebody who struggles. And the walls that we build around ourselves to protect us from shame, stigma, and judgment are the walls that leave us feeling isolated. My work is, like I said, a deep dive into my own story, the stories of the families that I work with, so that we all realize that we're not alone. And so if there's anything I could say to people is come out and listen, because I think you'll hear, you won't hear a guru or an expert talking from a mountaintop. You'll hear a peer who's who's been on this journey and had the unique perspective of watching themselves and other people struggle, and, and you'll feel less alone, more connected, and, and more capable of of reaching out and asking for help. Okay. And once again, that is September 17th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Blair Education Center, which is inside the Park City Hospital. And we're encouraging everyone to come out. You can learn more about that at summitcountyhealth.org slash events. And Brad, thank you so much for coming today. And we're looking forward to seeing you again in just a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me, Derek. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Summit County HealthCast. For news, program information, and more, visit us at summitcountyhealth.org. Stay healthy, Summit County.